Hello and welcome to the Film Angle. I'm Alex. And I'm Chris. And today, in potentially our sweatiest episode yet, as we suffer in the 30 degree heat in our closed windows rooms, uh, recording our review of the latest Predator movie in the franchise, Prey. Prey, yeah, I am currently sitting in shorts. It is so hot here at the minute. Um, Probably fitting that we're sweaty when we're talking about a pretty sweaty movie, though. So I think it's kind of... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think... I feel like all the Predator movies are just very, very sweaty films. I I think I took that away from the first one in particular. Arnold Schwarzenegger's just sweaty constantly in that film. Oh, I didn't think about it, but you obviously were very fixated on that on that aspect of that movie, Alex. <laughs> Is there Again, some... going back to what we said last week, it was that it was that sweaty bicep greeting that, that I was like, "Oh, this is one sweaty film." <laughs> that made you lean forty five degrees forward in your chair. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy, I enjoyed the start. <laughs> yeah, Alex loves a bit of Schwarzenegger. Um, yeah, we were talking about Prey this week. Obviously, you and I have been talking to each other. Uh, we highlighted last week's episode that we were really excited to talk about this movie. Um, I think we're just sort of in the mood for a movie like this. I don't think, you know, these sort of sci-fi horror movies are sort of a relic of the past of the 80s and the 90s. And whenever we get something like this, it's a real treat. And we want it to be good. So I think there's a lot riding on it to be really good Friday night entertainment. And I think it succeeded. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of those films where the setup is we've had a lot of these now and they're relatively bad sequels for the most part. And the franchise really needed some rejuvenating. And there's, I feel like there's been a string of films recently where somebody's come in with the kind of care and affection and the understanding of what made the first film so kind of relevant uh, to an audience at that time and kind of just pump some life back into it and i think that's exactly what dan trachtenberg has done here yeah i mean he's had a little bit of experience in this department before he obviously did a very very loose sequel to um the cloverfield jj abrams movie where he did 10 cloverfield lane um i was quite a fan of that movie too and it's quite interesting to see somebody yeah. take material and sort of turn it into something that's completely different. He, he almost used a completely different medium to tell that story. So it was really cool to have somebody who obviously has a little bit of, uh, likes to inject a bit of fresh life into uh, these sequels slash uh, relic movies. So um, yeah, definitely really right choice here, uh, especially because we're going back in time here. We're got nothing to do with the movies we've seen. This is four, 300 years before even the first Predator movie. So we're not relying on any throwbacks or any cameos or nostalgia, like a lot of um, legacy sequel movies that we get these days. So it's really refreshing to just see something that is completely its own thing. And Prey definitely, definitely succeeds uh, in that regard. Yeah, and obviously last week we discussed The Predator and I went back to watch it to kind of prepare for this film. But at the end of the day, I almost didn't need to do that. I think there's an element of... There's a few winks and nods there and and kind of obviously there's less less kind of subtlety in the reveal of the predator because the they, we already know what it looks like kind of thing. Yeah. But apart from that, like you could just jump into this and have an uh, have an absolute blast of a time because it, it it's very much kind of a sneaky origin story in a way. 
because the the predator him themselves just kind of is figuring out earth more in this film Mm. than they have in any film really just kind of like almost observing for the most part until something attacks and then it's like all right now i'll kill you and kind of like building its way up to find out what what you know can it yeah can it take all the predators on earth kind of thing yeah, it's actually yeah, it's going up through the hierarchy. It's like it's like it starts with we get a lot of CGI animals in here. I think the first interaction the predator has when it lands on Earth in America is via um, a mouse and a is a rat and a snake, and it's kind of like showing yeah. the circle of life thing. And um, but the predator is just sussing out what these animals are and working its way up. Okay, a wolf and it okay now it's a human and it's working its way up through the stages of the hierarchy in um, in sort of Comanche era America. So that's very fascinating, very interesting. What you said um, about its first visit on Earth, and maybe that is a good reason to watch the original Predator because the tech that the Predator uses is completely different to what we see in the 1980s version of the Predator uh, that we see. It's a lot, there's no lasers, there's no like beam weapons or anything. There's almost like a, like a, a tribal sort of version of its weapons where it's shooting more metallic weapons that are more in tandem with uh, the Comanche uh, bow and arrow weapons and everything that we see on screen. So that kind of makes a lot of sense too. And that's quite interesting to see the, the evolution of the weaponry in Predator in a nerdy sort of way. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And the, I think the best way to sort of describe this movie is, um, you know, not to be blowing up my own smoke or anything or quoting my own letterboxed um, review, but I sort of saw the movie uh, as like a, as a grown up version, the first sort of XR rated um, version of a princess uh, Disney story. You know, it, it kind of has those sort of uh, thread lines. We follow the story of um, Nauru, uh, played amazingly by uh, Amber Midthunder, great name. Um, she is a skilled female warrior, at least she is self-taught that way anyway. I think there is definitely, in her tribe, the men are the hunters, the gatherers, and the women have the more traditional rules at home. And I think she is somebody who sticks out um, very much like a lot of Disney princesses do, uh, she wants to break the mold and become a skilled warrior and uh, really prove herself. And uh, amidst her journey, she she encounters a predator, and uh, it's two pretty formidable foes fighting each other. And it becomes a movie. I think Prey is very interesting as a title for this movie because it really turns its head on who actually is the predator in this. Um, at the end of the day, it's like it's two equals fighting each other and not a sort of picking off one at a time so i i thought that was a really cool twist on a, a pretty old formula yeah yeah it it definitely felt almost uh like kind of harking back to those kind of alien days and terminator and stuff like that mm. um you know that kind of that kind of slow build up to a to a big clash slowly learning about each other figuring each other out uh, obviously at the at the very kind of start of this journey Nauru is 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 completely outmatched uh, for the predator, but that's kind of her strength is highlighted throughout the place. Like she wants to be a hunter, like her brother and the other other kind of men in the tribe, but she's not she's not perfect at it. She but she's very smart and she has a very logical thinking brain and she's very good at coming up with plans on how to kind of hunt these things and figure these things out. But obviously not very well respected by the men for trying to kind of uh, you know 
enter that kind of patriarchal system of the tribe. But um, obviously, by the end of the day, is able to kind of prove herself as kind of as good as those guys, and kind of uses her weaknesses uh, and 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 kind of uses them to and her strengths mm-hmm. and weaknesses to kind of outmatch this kind of uh, otherworldly being. Oh, for sure. And the movie is patient enough to give us time alone with Nauru, where she is training and really honing her skills in. And we get mistakes. Like we said, we have encounters with lions. We have encounters with bears. No tigers, though. (laughs) Um, We have (laughs) encounters with with other animals where she is close. You know, there is definitely skill in there, but there is more for her to learn and it's through these encounters that we really get a, a, a realistic stepping stone up into the final climax of the movie. I, th- I think it's fair to say. And through the experiences that she learns in the movie, we um, it's definitely earned and deserved. Yeah, it's like her failures and kind of uh, struggles throughout the film end up being the kind of catalyst for, you know, getting the Predator at the end of the day. They she's you know there's a sequence where she kind of falls into some kind of sinking mud uh bog kind of jungly bog thing and Mm -hmm. she has to get her way out of it and then obviously that comes back at the end of the film where she's that that's where she's able to trap the predator and she's like slow while she's slowly learning about how uh he uses his weapons and stuff like that and i it's it's just a really really kind of brilliant well done action film i just really really enjoyed everything that was going on here yeah and just a real shame though that we had to obviously this is not a cinematic release this is a a straight to um hulu or if you're living in europe it's a straight to disney plus uh, film produced uh, produced by 20th Century Fox, so it's a real shame because we have some beautiful, beautiful landscapes, and there's no like, no hyperbole there. I mean, some of the landscape mm-hmm. shots in here and this are absolutely stunning. You know, up there with like Last of the Mohegans type of stuff in terms of scope, there is a lot of scope, and um, to the to the images that we see on screen, and it's a real shame that we couldn't get to see those on a big screen. This would have been a, an amazing popcorn flick to see in cinema, hundred percent. Definitely, definitely, and it, it's just cool. It was uh, it was shot in Canada, in in Calgary, mm. and it had a like its cast is pretty much all First Nations, apart from when we encounter some kind of colonists, uh, colon- yeah, oh, no, not French. colonists, co- colonizers, <laughs> French colonizers later on in the film. Um, yeah, and it's just. Uh, just kind of really interesting to to kind of see that representation on screen. It's almost a little bit of a history lesson as well, in terms of kind of seeing how how people lived back then, um, and kind of the different things that that were kind of dangerous to them at that time. Yeah, this could easily be like you know a ten thousand year BC type of schlocky um, movie that sort of not necessarily glamorizes, but maybe exploits. Um, the history of the Native Americans, and instead, it for weirdly for a predator-related movie, they put a lot of effort and detail into the representation of uh, the Comanche tribe, and even in the background, what we get in the foreground, we've got the story and all the action stuff. But even even what's happening in their native tribe and their campsite, you know, we're, we're getting so much attention to detail about the daily runnings of how things work, the hierarchies, the spiritualism. Um, there's a lot of layers going on there that you could peel back if you wanted to. And I think that's just a really, it's nice to have a refreshing sort of tribute to 
to Native Americans who probably haven't had the best sort of representation in the history of cinema, to say the least. So it's I kind of respect that it happened in a Predator movie, oddly enough. It's it's strange, but it's um, I'm kind of glad that it exists. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I think as well, it, it's interesting as well, and this this should probably be the way forward for Predator films, is that the the beginning of the film is just a, a cool Native American genre film. Uh, and mm. like you said, you, you're going through the kind of like how they live and what's going on and the story of, of Nauru trying to, you know, kind of become a hunter instead of a gatherer kind of idea within the tribe is an interesting story in itself. You know, if the Predator didn't, didn't come along, it might not have been as an action-packed film, but it still would have been a good film. Uh, I mm. love the idea that you could just chuck a Predator into any kind of genre piece from now on, potentially, <laughs> and just get like a really interesting thing. Like, uh, I don't know, Egyptians, chuck a Predator in there. Romans, chuck a Predator in. I don't know. Yeah. Italian gangsters, throw a predator in there. See what happens. <laughs> you know, like I just like the idea that this this could be where it's going. It could be doing that like Assassin's Creed thing, where it's just like we're just going to go to a different time and do this. Like I just love the idea that potentially this could set up uh, for more kind of big genre historical just... epics versus the predator. There's a lot of funny things you could do there, but yeah, I think you have to kind of go after this has to be your starting point now though because i think the technology that the predator has in this is quite bare bones so if you were to go back further you probably be back to probably sticks and and clubs and stuff like that so um but there is a lot of scope you could definitely do with that they've kind of made i think they've done that on purpose so that we've got a stepping block for the franchise now because as we were discussing last week i think we haven't seen the newest predator film by, by shane black but we are pretty sure from the discourse that we've read that it is not a well-received movie by pretty much the majority of the of the community. So really feels like they're pressing the reset button here, but in a very smart, intelligent way, which is <laughs> refreshing for a big studios. They don't seem to be doing a lot of decisions like that these days. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think as well, they were clearly nervous, hence the reason it's just dropped on Disney Plus with you know, or Hulu in the States uh, without a theatrical release, because, you know, I I think people have lost faith in this franchise, but if this brings enough eyes back to the story, to the idea, to the genre, then yeah, I think they've got a winning formula here for sure. Mm. No, no, for sure. Um, I want to speak as well about the action. I think action is a big part of what makes this movie really exciting and really intense. I think the movie very, very rarely lets up. We're, we get so many stunning shots mixed with great sound editing in this too. I love, I'm, I don't know about you, Alex, but I'm a sucker for those tomahawk signs. Every time a tomahawk <laughs> smacks into a tree or something like that, and she pulls it with the rope or anything, I am, I, I I love that sort of stuff. It's kind of like ASMR in, in cinema mode, but um, I love that sort of stuff. There's loads of fun trickery happening with the camera. There's this amazing shot where she is her first encounter with a lion, uh, which is quite scary. At night. It's all sh- at nighttime, but it shows how adept she is. But the camera kind of moves in tandem with her. We get this beautiful bird's eye um, look onto Amber Midthunder when she's 
honing a bow and arrow and she twists around a tree and the camera does this weird rotating move that you don't really see uh, in a lot of movies with her and there's a lot of little touches like that in this movie that really add up and make it really exciting and, and fresh and bring a little bit of uh, cinephile quality to a movie that you know maybe necessarily in in the past didn't have players like that yeah yeah definitely and i think it's worth saying as well less artsy but more kind of uh you know we've reached a point in technology and practical effects that we can actually show this is that we we fully see the predator unleash on just like a an army of of of, of dudes a, a small army mm. uh but uh you know like yeah. a you know a, a group of 10 10 or so people and in in like pure daylight you just get to see the predator unleash with all the different weapons and stuff like that. Yes. In their pr- kind of primal senses, but really just go ham on people. And mm. uh, yeah, these people are villains in the film. We, you know, they capture our hero at one point, so we don't care watching them getting slaughtered and you can, you can enjoy the predator just going like absolutely nuts on these guys. And uh, it's oh, quite fun scene. to actually be able to see the full potential of uh of the predator actually actually to do that uh which i don't think you probably would have been able to do to quite such glorious effects back in the 80s oh yeah and and this predator is nasty i think he's probably the nastiest predator i've seen out of all like he is pretty relentless and he kills in pretty gruesome painful ways and like i even feel sorry for the animals i mean we talk about that first encounter he has with a snake he skins the snake alive with one pool with one pull of his hand, mm. and then, and then there's a callback later on when when um, Naru is you know navigating through the woods when they're trying to hunt this lion that they've been after, and they see she sees some blood on on the forest floor, and what appears to be just like what's left over of a snake, and it's just it hasn't got skin on. It's just like a te- it's like a tentacle, and it has a little last little wiggle like it's still alive even after all these hours of pain this poor little animal is still alive after being skinned alive and you're and you're like oh my god this thing is nasty that it like skins things and doesn't even let them die just lets them live in pain like that really sets up for how formidable a foe we're gonna get in this movie yeah and i think it adds to that element of like it's very much observing it's very much like what is this place what are these things and I, I really, I kind of really liked that. It was just, it was kind of just sitting there until something happened. And then it was like, oh, the snake's going to attack me. Okay, I'm just going to just gonna skin it and kind of observe what what, what is this thing. Uh, just kind of, yeah, but you're right. Very kind of nasty predator. Very kind of primal and more animalistic, I think, than we've seen before. What did you think of uh, Nari's relationship Obviously, the, the the other main protagonist in the story is her brother. Um, is it Tabe? Yeah, played by Dakota Beavers. Yeah, very Again, interesting performance. A wicked very, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, I, I really enjoyed their relationship in this movie too. Um, that was kind of a lot of the crux of the tension too, where uh, Tabe were, and Nauru were really close together in a lot of the, the peak of the action of this movie. And uh, we had a lot of time spent together um, for sibling interactions and, and sort of sort of them understanding each other earlier on in the movie where there was enough tension where I was really fearing. I knew Tabe was going to die at some point in the movie. It was, it was always going to end up being Nauru left by herself fighting this predator. I think we everybody who's watching this movie 20 minutes in knows that's where the story's going. 
Um, so yeah, like I knowing that was going to happen, I still felt like I did not want it to happen, and it teased me and teased me and teased me, and we get some real moments of bravery, um, and real moments of just a real strong bond between them two, and I, I really appreciated that aspect of the story too. That was another layer I wasn't expecting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I um I enjoyed their relationship too. You knew the sacrifice was coming at some point. Um but it was still difficult uh, to watch when it happened because of how kind of good their chemistry was and and uh, the kind of relationship they had together. Um but you also got to see him kicking some predator butt, which I really enjoyed. He kicks I ass. Maybe maybe the best like man versus predator uh you know moment you know really gets what a number on him i think uh in a way that we haven't seen people do before without having to be a little bit more sneaky about things no 100 percent. i think if again we're dealing with a predator at the end of the day and this guy this predator takes a lot of hits that would have regularly killed a lot of a lot of massive hulking men and and are in in real life so it's crazy um it still shows off that the Comanches, even the men who do get killed in battle here, still show really good fighting prowess. And it's only that they're facing something that is so indescribable and new to them that they are overfaced. Uh, so I, it's not like everybody is fodder to this thing. Everybody gives this thing a pretty good shot, probably apart from the French and their muskets. Um, mentioning that <laughs> the, the musket jokes are pretty good in this. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. I don't. Oh, oh, yeah, because they take a while to reload. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. No, <laughs> it does that a couple mean, of yeah. times. <laughs> yes, yeah, okay. I was trying to think. Then I was like, I don't remember anybody making any quips. But you're right. It's more of a physical thing. Uh, yeah, no, that's good. I am glad the dog survived. <laughs> you know, I was a little bit worried about the dog. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. That's the first thing you think of when you watch these movies. You, you see the dog from scene one, and you know it's her companion. You're like. Don't let the dog die. That's the first thing you say to yourself, right? Yeah. You're like, okay, so are you going to make me feel things by killing the dog later on? And uh, I'm really happy they didn't, because I think that would have been an easy way to do stuff, but uh, they decided not to go down that route. It would have been overkill, because every other animal in this movie dies. <laughs> so every other animal like, in the whole forest is dead, apart from this dog at the end of this movie. The dog is a good boy, though. A really good boy. <laughs> he's a good doggo he's a good doggo no absolutely um yeah it is a nasty movie and i really love how it didn't spare on the gore as well like that's something i really i really like and miss from a lot of movies i feel like a lot of movies are sanitized these days and um yeah it was really cool i wasn't expecting the gore in this and but i'm glad i got it yeah i think it's because uh because of the route of going down cgi more often uh you don't get the kind of disgusting practicality of just like blowing someone's arm off and how that looks as a prosthetic and stuff like that so uh, you're right uh it was good to actually get a few like kind of squealy moments in this where i was like oh god no that's you know be- ankles being trapped by traps and stuff like that not very not very nice stuff and um and and shields the predator's shield very sharp uh, being used to just kind of sever people which was which was pretty minging i i love the weapons i that scene you were talking about in the fog where where t- the the predator takes on all the um the french colonizers i love how we get a showcase for both the only nod this movie does is its weapons and it 
kind of nod to Alien vs. Predator, which I know you've watched now. The the net that the Predator introduces in, in Alien vs. Predator, where it, it squeezes and contracts and pulls and it squeezes its prey on, up until the prey is nothing, until it is completely just purified blood. And we get a little nod to that in this movie, which is really cool. It's probably one of the coolest kills in this movie where a French colonizer is just trapped in this net until the point he's just blended and just oozing blood. And it is disgusting. It kind of reminded me of like a like a Nightmare at Elm Street sort of kill. I really enjoyed that. But then we got all these new different weapons as well. Like, like you mentioned, the shield, the mask that he wears with these, uh, these sort of um, honing in darts that he that he has as well there's no lasers this time uh, i thought it was really cool that's one of the aspects of the movie i enjoyed the most was was the kills yeah yeah it it, it was it, you know like not in a in a kind of horrible way but it was like a fun fun kind of slasher film uh that you know they don't they don't make like they used to kind of thing <laughs> is there anything you didn't like about the movie we've been very very positive so far we have we have you're right um there's i think i think everybody was great maybe maybe our main character looked a little bit too much like aubrey plaza and i was just like <laughs> like a young aubrey plaza I can see that. <laughs> and i was like this girl this girl owns an iphone you know similar kind of issue <laughs> this is i the, had to <laughs> this is the dakota johnson <laughs> persuasion conversation that we had the other week yeah, yeah i was like she's got a face that owns an iphone but no i'm only kidding because her, her performance was so good that like, at the end of the day uh that that is just me just teasing really um yeah i mean i, I wouldn't i wouldn't go as far as say like this is a five-star perfect film but there's nothing there's nothing bad about it either it was, it was just a good fun action film um mm. I haven't actually seen your rating on Letterboxd, Chris, so maybe you feel differently, but I'm I'm like, this is a solid four-star film for me. No, I'm sitting on very, very comfortably in the same similar sort of spot as you. I, I did give it a four-star review on, on Letterboxd, and uh, yeah, for those reasons, I think it's just such a really entertaining movie, and I can't wait to go back. And obviously, we talked last week, we mentioned that there was a there's a Comanche sub um, dubbed version of this movie, so we're mm. really I'm really excited to go back and watch that, and see if that lands anything to the film. But um, the only thing I would probably maybe argue that is not a strength of this movie's. I, I think a lot of the strength of this movie really relies on its visuals and its visual language and its direction, and maybe perhaps the the screenplay in terms of the script for uh, the earlier portions of the movie for the characters were maybe not as um, high caliber as the visuals that we get. Um, I felt maybe some of the dialogue is quite throwaway and forgettable. I can't really remember much dialogue from the first third of the movie, uh, which is the the dialogue heaviest part of the movie as well. So perhaps maybe that is something that could have been capitalized on a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I wonder if that would be less of an issue in the Comanche dub. Um, mm-hmm. and it, with it being a little bit more immersive, I don't know, but, uh, yeah, no, I definitely want to go back and watch this in that, in that version. Uh, like you mentioned, I just think to kind of be immersed in the language of that time as well would be, would be just uh, a really intriguing watch and very kind of a lot of respect to the filmmakers and, and, uh, for, for, for going ahead and making that happen. Yeah. It's an interesting choice. I mean, you know, it seems to come from a really good place, like we were mentioning. But you know, the representation of Native Americans and 
in pre- previous uh, uh, in the history of cinema as not being terribly uh, kind or or endearing. So it's it's really cool. Just uh, this isn't just like a nod to Native Americans. It's like you know you, you know it's you deserve it, and it's a bit more of a realistic representation. And it's really cool to like really go down the historical accuracy route for um, a Predator movie. Like we were talking about the whole how they live stuff is really honed in on uh, in a really. It's the same way that when Robert Eggers did uh, the Viking movie Northman earlier this year, even though that's a fantastical sort of movie in terms of its its scope and, and what it's trying to achieve, it really honed in on the historical accuracies to really to really um, bring a new sort of subgenre where we're meeting hyper realism with the fantasy, and I think we're starting to see an, a new wave of that, which I'm quite excited about. Yeah, I think. Do you know what? I think this would make a nice pairing with the Northman. Uh, you know, I it's maybe mm. not as artsy or as kind of quirky in as the Northman is, but in that kind of historical uh, action film, that's also mm. a little bit of educational at the same time. Uh, I it's, it kind of makes an interesting pairing. I think. I think we're definitely we're both sitting on the place now where we can definitely recommend Bray. I think it is the strongest Predator movie since the original Predator. I, I really, I know you didn't like the original Predator as much as I did. I really do. And I think they are both equals in terms of my enjoyment. So I would definitely recommend for any fans of the original Arnie movie and who are fans of film in general, I think definitely check this one out. It's a really cool movie that uh, you don't get too often. For me, it's the best Predator film, and if you haven't seen any <laughs> of the Predator films, if you haven't seen any of the Predator films, uh, you can you can jump into this and, and have a good time. I sure did, and uh, yeah, uh, for yeah, like I said, for me, easily the best Predator film. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about something really, really quickly. I want to get off my chest. Um, I've been, I've caught up with a movie the other day, Alex. That was not like Predator in any sort of sense. Um, it was on Mubi. I know we both really like Mubi. We like to catch up on things there uh, every so often because we get really strange and wonderful things on there that we don't generally see on normal streaming services. And uh, the movie I caught up with was Blood and Black Lace. And it's a movie, uh, 1964, directed by Mario Bava. And Mario Bava is credited as being the pioneer of the Jallo subgenre, um, which I know you and I we've dabbled in, and we're we've been fans of what we've seen of Jallo. We like movies like Dario Argento, Suspiria, uh, even more like modern Peter Strickland movies like In Fabric, uh, kind of follow those sort of thread lines. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, Jalo is a type of subgenre that was came about in the sixties and seventies, which was sort of it's uh, Italian movies. Would you say, Alex, that are gory, centered around a murder, and um, have a schlocky sort of seventies aesthetic to them, but are also very beautiful and well made. Yes, and a lot of red, usually a lot of a red lot lighting. Of red. <laughs> yeah, um, this movie, Blood and Blacklist, uh, is also drenched with uh, red lighting and red uh, furniture, whatever. Man- There's mannequins in this that are like used in every almost every scene. Backgrounds is red mannequins that are really 
like made of velvet that look quite beautiful to look at, but are also very menacing. And the movie uh, centers around a murder of a young fashion house model called Isabella. And she is murdered by a masked sort of assailant. He looks kind of like, you know, Rorschach in the Watchmen comics? Mm. And he looks like that. He's got like a trilby on. And he's got a white mask, except Rorschach has obviously the, the patterns on his face. This guy just has like a stocking and it's quite a creepy piece of imagery. Um, there's an investigation that goes on around the murder of this model at the house's various... Um, there's a lot of people who work in this fashion house where Isabella was murdered, and they all seem to have a connection to this young fashion model, a negative one where she has some dirt on them, and her diary after her murder um, appears, and everybody is really like eager to get the diary and burn it because it has something dirty about them, and no, nobody's talking to each other about it. So everybody's a suspect, and as the movie progresses, there's a lot more murders to happen to other models in the house, and uh, yeah, it's really creepy, really, really menacing. I thought it was a fantastic, fantastic movie. Um, obviously, Mario Bava, like I mentioned, he kind of invented the genre. So I can t- I can appreciate a lot of things that appear later on in, in works like Dario Gento's Suspiria really are credited from coming from a movie like this. It oozes with the colorful, surreal staging that is... Uh, as disorientating for the viewer as it is for the poor victims. It's a lean, breezy piece of pioneer filmmaking. And yeah, if you've got a movie account or if you're a fan of horror movies, uh, the history of horror movies, please check out Blood and Blacklist. It was a really pleasant surprise uh, for me. Yeah, yeah, it's actually on my watch list on movie currently. So uh, yeah, might uh, might give it a watch very soon. And uh, if it, to know that you're a fan, it always helps. <laughs> okay um what about you alex have you caught up with anything yeah so i caught up with um a film on another film on disney plus i guess it was a bit of a double bill this weekend uh called not okay which is about a young woman uh, it's a new one with i don't know how to pronounce her last name song it's zoe dutch i believe who plays a young woman called danny sanders um and she works for this kind of uh I guess it's like a BuzzFeed kind of journalism place. And she is a photo editor, but she wants to be kind of more well-known and she's desperate for followers and and for kind of fame and also for uh, a boy uh, played by Dylan O'Brien called Colin, who I'm pretty sure is called like weed boy Colin on Instagram or something (laughs) like that. For some reason she fancies this guy. Um, the film does actually set up at the very start of the film as a little warning by Disney that this features an unlikable female protagonist. So, you know, you've is been that warned, actually is, true? <laughs> that is actually true. It's a little bit weird. Um, but basically, she fakes a trip to Paris. And wh- whilst she's faking this trip to Paris, a terrorist attack happens. And she has to kind of pretend that, oh, she was there also. Um, and it just takes it down a rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, because she doesn't want to <laughs> let loose to everyone that she was faking the trip to Paris. And then it kind of, it goes down a bit of a rabbit hole as, um, you know, she's able to write an article about her trauma being there and stuff like that. And that kicks oh off my her God. fame. And then, and then it all just kind of escalates out of control. 
um, and hence why she's not the most likable protagonist. Uh, but it does a really good job of kind of humanizing um, somebody who who kind of, you know, the kind of way our brains have, are like craving attention from social media and the mm. kind of lengths that people, you know, like influencers and stuff like that will go to to kind of like give you this idealistic image of a perfect life. Now, obviously, this isn't a perfect life. This is like I've been in a terrorist attack. But it's, it's a kind of really interesting kind of satirical film that looks at our times and uh, quite funny as well, despite the, the topics that, that it's kind of see, showing. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it it does a good job of kind of walking the line of, of kind of the, the comedy and drama. Um, and and obviously it's kind of, you know, trying to show off this kind of TikTokified world, if that's a if that's a kind of phrase I don't know, but kind of like yeah. really honing into the kind of Gen Z way that we, we kind of um, take media and, and run with it. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting film and worth checking out. I think... I don't know. It's it's just is uh, for some reason I got a bit of a Truman Show vibe from it at times. Um, mm. I guess it's just kind of that like living a lie kind of uh, thing, but obviously it's a little bit different because obviously uh, our main character here is is kind of creating the lie. Um, but the the there is a young actress called Mia Isaac who plays Rowan Aldrin, who's a a school shooting survivor, who our main character friends and she's also an activist and does all these uh, amazing speeches i just want to say she's like insanely good in this um mm. and for for such a young actress i was like blooming neck I, I imagine we'll be seeing a lot more of her soon but yeah she she gives a really powerful performance yeah. i'm um, looking on here yeah. she including not okay she only has two credits so so i imagine she has a, a lot of uh great stuff ahead of her yeah, she's absolutely incredible. I guess she gives a kind of like that kind of Greta Thunberg vibes of kind of standing up to the establishment and becoming this kind of a face of a certain movement and stuff like that. But yeah, she's brilliant and obviously uh, kind of swayed in by the lie as well. Uh, really interesting, really interesting how it all unfurls and kind of the kind of awkwardness that that, that brings as well. Um, yeah, give it a watch. It's It doesn't apologise for itself in a kind of cringy way or anything like that. It really kind of holds its characters to account. Um, I had, I had a, I, had, I thought it was a really good film. Um, no worth, worth no, seeking out as it's not getting a lot of, uh, kind of traction. I don't think I've not seen it kind of advertised anywhere as of yet. Well, it's falling into this algorithm at the minute. Like, uh, a lot of streaming services do just like, just like Disney plus where it doesn't really get much fanfare or advertising. It just sort of drops, and uh, we film lovers have to pick up the pieces and spread the word. Um, absolutely, though, I this has been on my radar, so I will be checking, uh, catching up with it over the next week or so. So, you know, thank you very much for sharing that, Alex. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I think that probably wraps it up for a minute because the oxygen in this room is slowly disappearing <laughs> as it gets hotter and hotter with this window closed and uh you're looking yeah, a lot probably... yeah 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 i've lost i've lost <laughs> a stone just by sitting here <laughs> but yeah so we'll leave it there uh we have a couple more episodes no i think maybe one more episode coming out before our before our small break um as i'm away so this is the last time i'll be seeing you podcast form 
for a minute, um, Chris. I'm sad. I'll be seeing you yeah. in September, though, in, in person, though, buddy, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm very excited. Very excited. So, yeah, until then, um, keep keep watching, or not watching because it's a podcast. Keep listening. Uh, <laughs> you can watch us on Instagram, do stuff, funny reels every now and then. Uh, you know, rate us, uh, subscribe to us, share us with your friends. Everything helps uh, just to get more people's ears on this, and uh, we enjoy doing it. So, yeah, Absolutely. thank you for listening, everyone. Go watch Prey. Go watch. Uh, yeah, go watch Prey. It's awesome. Go watch Prey. Go watch Not Okay. And yeah. what did you what did you review, Chris? What was it called? Blood and something. Blood, the most memorable title ever made. Blood and Blacklist. Yeah, you'll forget about Blood it as soon as you go off this podcast. <laughs> go and watch it. And uh, do you know what? I will probably watch Blood and Blacklist at some point as well. Uh, so yeah, thanks everyone, and we'll see you soon. Bye, guys. 